you can take your Bibles and turn again to the to 2 Timothy in chapter 3, we're going to be continuing to work through that passage through chapter 3 and the first part of chapter 4 in 2 Timothy. We started there last week dealing with this passage of scripture. We were looking at how <coughs> Paul was encouraging Timothy to hold fast to his faith, um, that that there were going to come times of trouble as the day drew near, as people started to leave the faith, as they started to question the authority of the faith. And he was encouraged to, to hold fast to the faith he had believed because of who he had learned it from, but more importantly because of, of a conviction that the Scripture had authority, that this was an inspired Word of God. One of the other things I mentioned last week also was that there's some, some hints, I believe, some, some things I see within society that I believe could be the beginnings of the drawing of the curtain of the age as we start to see uh, a time of apostasy, as we start to see people leaving the church, and not just leaving the church, but leaving the Christian faith, that they denounce all that they've ever believed. We see this within some prominent members within the different uh, areas of the Christian community. Um, I think this is what the Bible is talking about, this time of falling away of apostasy. So that could be starting to begin and probably is going to increase throughout our time. We've seen a number of high-profile leaders denounce the beliefs that Jesus is God. Uh, and so we were kind of talking about what's causing this and trying to look at some, some uh, current happenings. And I'm going to talk about another one of those today. But that's kind of where we were last week, and we're going to just kind of continue to pick up there. Um, so reading from 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting with verse 1, we're going to read the whole passage up to, to 5. It says, But understand this, that in the, time, in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, Heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into the households and capture weak women, burden them with sins, and led astray by various passions. Always learning, never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and John Breeze opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind, disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get, uh, get very far, for their folly will be plain to all as was that of those two men. So we see this time of struggle coming. But you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and suffering that happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which, are, uh, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and, and have firmly believed, knowing whom you've learned it, and how from the childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. 
All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for the training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. It's a long passage that we're kind of looking at, and we've been looking at uh, how this relates, and this starts off uh, Paul encouraging Timothy to hold fast to his faith because of the authority of Scripture, that all Scripture is breathed out by God, or, or all Scripture is inspired by God. It is the condensation of God's breath in those passages. And so when we look at what's wrong with the world today, when we look at the, the chaos in our world and, and, and so forth, we kind of came to this conclusion that really what's wrong with the world today is it has lost, it has no standard for authority. That, that all, that kind of like what it says in James uh, chapter 21, in the, or Judges chapter 21, verse 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel, no standard for guiding the people. So everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And when everybody starts to do what's right in their own eyes, then, then there is no authority. There is no unifying authority, and everybody just does what they think is right. The bad thing about that is the Bible teaches us there's a way that seems right to a man, and it's the way of death. It, the Bible teaches us to be very cautious about how we think, very cautious about what our thoughts are. It tells us to be very cautious about our hearts because our hearts are, are wicked and deceitful, and, and we can barely even understand ourselves. And so we started talking about some of the things, and so we talked about especially how the Bible uh, as a source of authority is being questioned in our society, and that each one of us must decide where we stand on the authority of Scriptures. Is that authority based on that the Bible is the inspired Word of God, or it's something else? And, and that's just a, that's a bridge that everybody must cross, and my advice is to cross the bridge, to say, yes, it's the authority of God, it is the inspired Word of God, and burn the bridge down behind you. So that you can never cross over. Because that's what I think some of these people who are falling away from the faith are doing. They didn't burn that bridge. And so now they cross back over and say, well, maybe it's not the word of God. Maybe we can't trust the Bible. Maybe it's, it's just relative. And let's just let people do what's right in their own eyes. We talked about a couple of things that are happening now. I, I told you about Canadian Bill C-4 last week, which um, basically says... The tenets of Orthodox Christianity, that especially as it relates to the, uh, the sexuality of humans, is based on myths and propagates lies. And that, that our authority, where we stand on human sexuality, and, and if we base that on biblical teaching, well, then that we're promoting myths. And so, like I said, I believe that will blow up everything. And because it's a Canadian bill, I don't think it will be long before it will cross the border. And people like myself who would uh, encourage, promote biological sexuality as we are born, according to the scriptures, will probably one day see jail time uh, because of that. That's the truth. 
It's something I've dealt with for a long time and believed would eventually happen in my lifetime, and quite literally, it sits on our doorstep across the other side of the border. Another thing that's happening within our day is this idea of construct, deconstructionism. And I really believe it's this practice. This is kind of a, 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 an advent, a, a popular idea that's moving within church circles now. I believe it's deconstructionism that's led these people, these high-profile figures, to, to announce their faith. Um, and so I just kind of want to make you aware that this is kind of in the, the circle of people thinking about church and church life right now. I'm going to read you a fairly lengthy description of what deconstructionism is just so that you kind of get a grasp of it, uh, or at least how I'm going to be talking about it today. I think probably people define it differently, but this is, this is I think, a fair estimate. Deconstruction is, is the heading most recently applied to the process of questioning, doubting, and ultimately rejecting aspects of the Christian faith. This is an application of deconstructionism, an approach that claims to disassemble beliefs or ideals while assuming their, their meanings are inherently subjective. Both the trend and its title reflect backlash against the unfortunate habit within some religious circles to downplay deep questions and ignore those who hold them, to openly investigate the nuances of belief, even changing one's conviction, is a biblical concept. In practice, though, deconstruction almost always acts as a polite cover for demolition. Modern deconstruction usually means place, replacing uncomfortable tenets with culturally or personally popular ideas. Now, I got this definition from a website called gotquestions.org. If you ever have questions that you want to ask, I would recommend. This seems to be a, a good source for biblical information. I was just reading their About Me page, and at least three or four times, they talked about their desire to be biblical in their answers. And I think this is a, a good practice. And, and what I want you to understand is that deconstruction as a whole isn't particularly bad. There are some good parts to it, and I'm going to talk about that. But some of the end game is it can go too far, especially when everything's considered relative. And there isn't an ultimate authority to answer the questions that people have. And so what I want you to see is when I compare these two things, C4, the Canadian Bill C4, and what's happening in deconstructionism within our own country is that not only is the Bible being attacked from out without for those who don't believe the Bible, but there's also the Bible as a source of authority is being questioned inside the church as well. That there are those with inside what we would call Christendom who are also kind of tearing at the fabric of our faith and the authority of Scripture. And so it's being attacked from without as well as from within. If you look at that passage we read early on, it talks about that uh, even what Paul is warning Timothy about, that there's people within the church. You know, they, they have the appearance of godliness, but they're denying its power. He goes, they... These men should be opposed. They oppose the truth. They've been corrupted in their mind, and they've been disqualified regarding the faith. And so who Paul is actually warning Timothy about is not outsiders, but insiders, people within the church. That's really the warning in this passage is those who are inside the church. You've got to watch out for these guys because they're tearing down Scripture. It's really the more applicable, applicable context of this Scripture. And so this is why we can't say, so one thing I want you to understand 
is what church matters. In the day in which we live, what church people go to probably matters more than it ever has, or at least as much as it ever has. Because there's been this sentiment, and I've heard a lot of people over the years tell their family members, I don't care what church you go to as long as you go to some church. We can't say that anymore. There may have been a time when that was true in America that most churches, at least the majority of churches, all held to biblical authority. I can tell you that is not the case anymore. And so what church your friends, your relatives, and you go to matter. You need, and, and, I, and I, I believe you need to learn from a church that holds to, promotes, and embraces the absolute authority of Jesus and the authority of the Bible. And there's a lot of churches who don't do that, especially when it comes to the Bible part. They, 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 and deconstructionism has worked its way within the church to the place that we now question all that the Bible says is it relative or is it not? And there are even those who say they do, but their practice doesn't. And so I'm giving you a warning. I'm giving you the same warning that Timothy was getting from Paul. Be careful <laughs> what you listen to. You must understand all of Scripture is inspired and believe it all. And so that's kind of what I want to talk a little bit more about today. I, I want us to realize some of this idea of deconstructionism because I think there's some good to it. I think it offers us some things that can be beneficial. I don't think it's, it's all or nothing with this idea because it is good to question, examine, and ask why. I think it's extremely healthy to ask these very difficult questions of, of why do we do what we do? What, am, what, what about this when it comes to my faith? That there are hard questions and there are hard answers to come up with. And people need to ask why. They need to be encouraged to ask why. And we need to embrace those who struggle with their faith and not ignore them, not squash them, and not make them feel shameful or less because they ask deeply profound questions about why we believe what we believe, why we practice what we practice, and why we hold to what we have to. If we can't at least let people ask the questions and embrace that and welcome that, we will never address a world full of questions. And so we want to encourage. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, judge yourself properly. If you judge yourself properly, if you question yourself rightly, then you don't have to fear judgment. It also, in 2 Corinthians, chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, it tells us to test ourselves and to see if we belong to the faith or not. And so we need space for people to ask questions. We need to embrace people asking very, very difficult questions and be welcoming to that. That's healthy. Our practices need to always be questioned. Why do we do this? Why do we do this? Why do we do this? That why is one of the fav my favorite questions in the world. And when I was disrespectful for my parents, it wasn't who gave you the authority. My question that drove my parents crazy was why? 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 Just give me a reason. Just give me something to hang on to and I will vacuum the way you want me to vacuum. But why do I have to do it in this kind of particular order or that particular order? Why, why, why? I see some parents got some other children kind of like that. Those questions are good. And we should be able to let people ask those. 
organizations as a whole, we as a church, we need to have regular times of asking why. Well, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? There's a story of a church who, who every Sunday it was practice that the, they would all gather around the, the wood stove and they would have a time of prayer and, and, and do that. And, and, you know, this was their opening of Sunday school. And then one day somebody's like, why are we doing this? Why, why do we all gather here before we go off to Sunday school? Why don't we just go off to Sunday school? And the question came back, well, back in the day when all the Sunday school rooms were heated by wood stoves, we had to come in and light the fires, and we had to give them a time to warm up before we went to class. Well, now we have a heater, and they're warm when we show up. Yeah, but we continue to do this because we've always done that, and no one thought in the last 50 years, do we need to continue to do this? Do we need to ask why we do the things we do? And so I want to tell people that they, it's good to ask questions. But the thing with asking questions and where I think deconstructionism misses it a little bit is they don't have a standard for answers because it's left up to everybody. And so while it's good to ask questions, while it's good to examine, it requires to have someone ask questions and welcome them, it requires some kind of standard or standardization for answers. And that's what the Bible is. If you, don't, if you reject it as the answer source, then asking questions is futile because you don't have an answer source. And that's why we have what I told you about the canon of the Bible. And if you'll notice, Randy, I got the number of books right this week. Randy was the only one who mentioned that I said 39 books last week, and it's supposed to be 66 books in the Bible as our canon. Let me give you an example. Let's see. Scott, would you and... You want to come help, Hannah? Y'all want to be my little guinea pigs? Y'all come on up. So here comes our two questioners here, Hannah and Scott. And we got a little bit of thing here. And I'm thinking about decorating something with this. And I need to know how long that is, Scott. Can you evaluate and tell me how long that is, please? Okay, it's taller than six feet. So he says taller than six feet. You can't hear his answer. How, how, tall, how long do you think it is? Uh, Here, I'll help you. Stretch it out. <laughs> and lay it down on the floor. Now walk it off with your feet. Just count the numbers feet. We're going to measure in feet. Two, three... Four, six, nine feet. All right, Scott, do you want to measure the same way? We'll let you measure them both the same way. All right, so let's see. So she said, what'd she say, nine or ten? Eight and a seven and a half. All right, so if we, y'all can go back to your seat. So if I was building a house... Using these two as my measurers, would I have a problem? One measured at nine feet, one measured at seven and a half. That's a foot and a half difference. Why are they different? I mean, they both actually did the same thing, right? Because the standard is not there. 
Now, if I had given them this, right, then I would have got a standardized answer. And that's what I want us to understand, that the Bible is the ruler for our life, right? It is the standard so that we can measure everything in our life. We can use the Bible for everything in our life as we evaluate our lives, as we evaluate our practices, as we question these things, that we have a standard to go to so we can get an answer that's not just dependent upon what my, happen, my shoe size happens to be. And it would have been much more dramatic if I'd have got Shelly up here who wears a size 6 shoe compared to Scott. And we see she's already got the, the feet thing going on. Hers are close. So we need these standards when it comes to asking these questions. And the Bible is that standard for us. And here's the question, and here's what we have to understand. We all will have some standard within our, to answer our questions by. It will either come from outside of us. Uh, or it will come from inside of us. We will either say something like the Bible says as we ask our questions, or we will say my mentor says, or we will say I say, I think, I feel. And so the standard we use to answer the question makes all the difference in the world. And as I said, I gave you one, Google is not a good standard, by the way, in case you're wondering. I know you can ask all your questions and you can Google it, but I'm not sure that's a standard that you want to use for your life. Got questions? That was a pretty good website. It seems to be biblically based, but, but everything coming back to the Bible is what we need. So see, at the end, everything starts with answering the authority question. Who is my authority? What is the authority in my life? One of the other good things I think that the deconstruction movement gives us and forces us to do is it's good for us to practice humility. And when we start to question ourselves and when we start to more importantly allow other people to question us and give us questions, it requires quite a bit of humility. And this is something that the Bible really endorses us being humble. And, and, and hum, being humble when it comes to understanding the scriptures just takes a few kind of ideas. The first one is just being willing to say, I might be wrong. I might be wrong. That's the truth. I mean, me, Jason, <laughs> might be wrong. What we got to understand is that the belief in inerrancy of the Bible does not mean belief in the inerrancy of interpretation. And that's where some people get it wrong. They believe their interpretation of the Bible is inerrant, not the Bible itself. And, and you can believe that the Bible is completely right, and you still might get it wrong. And, and, and so we have to handle the Scriptures very, very humbly. When it comes to interpreting and applying Scripture, we need to be super careful and uncomfortably humble. Let me say that. When it comes to understanding or interpreting and applying Scripture, we need to be super careful and uncomfortably humble. That we do our best, but we always hold in our minds, I might be wrong. And so that invites people to ask questions. That allows them to ask questions. And then you can give them an actual ear. Because if you don't listen to people with this idea that I might have messed up, then you won't ever listen open-mindedly to people. You're listening to shut them down if you can't entertain that thought. And humility is important. A second question that we might ask is, I don't understand. That we just got to admit, sometimes there's a pressure on us as humans, to, especially as Christians, 
And, and this is where we often get hung up is a lot of people when it comes to witnessing and sharing their faith and talking to other people, their, their greatest fear is, what if they ask me a question I don't know an answer to? Okay. Then you say, I don't know. I don't understand. I haven't figured that part out. I'm still working on that too. And we feel this pressure that we have to have an answer for everything. And we have to be able to explain everything. And this has created, I'm afraid, an elitism and a cult of personality and experts within the church that is dangerous. That, that there's these, some people, they got it all figured out. They're, they're, the, they're the elites. If only I was as smart as so-and-so my favorite particular teacher, right? And we had these whole cults of people who follow these people. And then I hear these pastors, oh, you know, they write books like Revelation, finally, the truth. Like they're the first person in 2,000 years that figured it all out, right? And they promote themselves. If you want to know what it says, I'll tell you. I think that lacks some of the humility that we need to have when we approach Scripture. That there's some things in there that we just have to be willing and comfortable saying, I don't understand yet. I don't know all the answers. Now, let me say this. There are certainly people much more learned than I am with understandings and comprehensions that would dwarf my limited cognitive abilities. I believe that and understand that. There are saints whose relationship with God, communication with Him, and dedication and practice of Christianity far exceeds my own personal stumbling, fumbling, tripping, and bumbling life that I call a walk of faith. But understand this. There is not a man, or has there ever been a man, who understands all that God is who understands all that God has said, and who understands all that God would have us to be. There is not a human who completely understands God. And if you find one who claims to, run, run, run away as fast as you can. Because God is bigger than us. And if he's not bigger than us, then I don't want him to be my God. And if the Bible's not bigger than I am, and if there aren't places that I don't understand, then I'm not sure it came from an omnipotent or omnipotent, all-knowing, all-present God. And so we have to be humble enough to just say, there's just some things I don't understand. And finally, we have to say, I don't have all the answers. I don't have an answer for everything. And I hate, and trust me, I feel the uncomfortableness of going to people and they ask me questions and just have to say, I got nothing on that. Understand this. This is where I think theologies go wrong way too often. Because a theology is nothing but a system. And it tries to make sense of all of God and all of the Bible and all of life. And it tries to put all those things together to explain everything within the system. And sometimes, and there isn't a theology where everything fits. And so sometimes we jam and stomp on and pound things into theological systems to make them fit so that we have a comfortable answer for everything. Every theology will have something within the scripture that challenges it and it won't fit perfectly. 
because God is bigger than our understanding of God. And theology is nothing more than the understanding of God. And the God we try to understand is bigger than our understanding. And so it shouldn't expect it all to fit, even though we try to make it fit and stuff it in places and force it at times. And I think this is where a theology somehow sometimes has to say, there's just questions I don't understand. The problem is, instead of humility, I'm afraid we too often display pride. Especially preachers in particular, pastors, those of us who are elevated to some high position, which is really a call for humility, that we too often lack the humility that the Bible would ask us to have, that would help others, especially those people struggling with faith, to be able to ask their questions. We say things like this, or you maybe you've heard somebody say this, God has told me, right? This favorite line of pastors, when they get up in the morning, they come to the pulpit and say, just so y'all know, God has told me to tell y'all this. Now, understand this. Do I believe that God speaks to me? Yes, I absolutely do. Do I believe God directs me in my sermon prep? Yes, I absolutely do. In fact, it's probably one of the sweetest parts of my week each and every week as I commune with God, as I talk with God, as I feel his hand guiding me into the things I'm saying and the scriptures to use. Yes, I believe that's part of it. But I will tell you now, and I had better tell you always, check what I say with the Bible. And if I don't, if it doesn't line up with the Bible, ignore me. And listen to the Bible, because I can't get up here because I still might get it wrong. Even though I believe the Spirit leads me, and even though I trust that He's leading me, and I hope that He's leading me, trust Him and the Bible over me. Another thing that we display our arrogance sometimes is, I'm the called man of God. I just saw a video where, where a guy, a pastor, was kicking someone out of his church because they wanted to ask a question. And he's like, I'm the called man of God here. You go sit down and leave. Well, to be honest with you, I believe that too is true. That God has called me to be at First Baptist Church in Clarion. For over 10 years now, I believe this is where he's called me. And, and I do believe that calling is on my life. But that's not a pride statement. The call of God on my life should be a humiliating statement to me. It's not a statement of pride, it's a statement of humiliation. Because it teaches us in James chapter 3, verse 1, not many of you should be teachers, my brother, for you know that those who teach will be judged more strictly. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, it talks about us uh, giving an account as leaders to God for what we teach. So when I tell you that God has called me here, that better warn me to be careful that if I'm speaking on his behalf, I better do it carefully because I will answer to God for what I tell you. And that should be a humbling experience and not one of pride. We say things like, well, I'm qualified. You know, I've been to seminary. <laughs> I have a degree, right? I have, again, the fact that I'm qualified is simply a lie. <laughs> I've told you all this, and I'll tell you her name this morning, Miss Betty Puckett, one of my favorite friends in the world, one day, coming down off the thing, she just reminded me very quietly, very caringly, as she always sat on the front row, don't worry, Jason, God qualifies the called. He doesn't call the qualified. I'll never forget that because it's true. I have not ever been qualified. I never will be qualified. 
I agree with what Paul said to Timothy in the first letter, chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted arrogantly, arrogantly, ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of the Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. I stand before you today as a living, breathing example of this scripture. And if there's anything you admire about me or my walk or my life, realize that all God is saying is, if I can do that with Jason, you're a long ways ahead. This is the truth. I am not qualified, nor will I ever be qualified to speak on behalf of my Lord, except for the grace and mercy extended to me. We say things like, who are you to question me, right? Who gave you the authority? Let's just be honest. This is an arrogant statement that Jesus never modeled. Even in our passage today, the Pharisees who were out to get him, he lets them ask the question, and then he, like, he gives them an answer they didn't like. He paints them in a corner, but he let them fill the question. He could have just easily said, be quiet, you know. Who are you to talk to me like that? Do you not know who I am? Well, obviously they didn't. And this kind of idea to think we are above all questions is an arrogance that Jesus never endured to anyone. And finally, we say things, you just need to believe what I say. I had a preacher when I was a kid, his favorite words were, mark my words, <laughs> right? Mark my word. You need to listen to what I say. And this may be true, as long as what I'm saying is accurately handling the word truth. You need to listen if I accurately handle the word of truth and use it for its intended purposes, which the scriptures quite plainly tell us what it's for, that the Bible is there for teaching, right? This is in this passage that we're looking at. It's there for teaching, which is the formulation of formal doctrine. Straight up, A, B, C, D, you know, your alphabet, your, your math facts, the formal education. The Bible is good for giving us formal teaching and doctrine so that we understand what the gospel of Jesus is and what we should be as a church. It's there for reproof which is convincing us to believe that, that your faith is not in vain. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, that over and over as we read the scriptures, we find it all pointing to the same truth, convincing us and convincing us and convincing us of the validity of our faith. That it's there for correction. When we make mistakes, and you and I will make mistakes, the Bible is there to correct us, to point out our error, our mistakes, and to try to get us back on the right path. And it's good for training this word, when it's talked about there in those scriptures, teaching, reproof, correction for training so that the, the man of God may be equipped for all good works. This is the kind of idea behind parenting, that maturing, raising someone up, getting them prepared to live on their own and make it on their own. That's what the Bible is used for. And when I use the Bible in this context, in this way, then there might be something to listen to 
only because I'm repeating what the scriptures have already said. The fact of the matter is, these statements that I, I'm going to back up. These statements that we may see, may have heard people say, or maybe we just hold them in our minds about people. Like, well, so-and-so, he's qualified. So-and-so, he's the called man of God. And I just need to listen to what he says. Whether they're said overtly or they're just ideas that we hold onto ourselves, they are slippery slopes that lead us away from biblical authority and into man's authority. If we don't hold everything that everybody says up to the standard of Scripture and say, you said this, where do you find that at? We will slowly move from trusting the Bible to trusting our favorite teacher or our favorite person or our favorite preacher or our favorite author or whatever. And we will have slowly put man's authority in place of biblical authority. And so as I continue to argue for biblical authority, let's talk about a couple of things for application. If, as you come to this bridge and you cross this bridge and you say, yes, I believe the Bible is inspired, God breathed, the condensation of God's breath for me, it can give me all the truth I need to do, then let's apply it. With an inspired Bible, three things you can't do. You cannot dismiss, dismiss the parts that offend you. I think this is where deconstruction really gets it wrong, is at the end of the day, when they get down to the parts that they don't like, that aren't culturally relative, they dismiss those parts and replace them with things that will appeal to culture. Well, make no mistake, I believe we should all find something within the scriptures that offend us, that, that it speaks against the human heart, and somewhere in there, there's something that's going to bother you. For me, there's a number of things in the Bible that I wish the Bible didn't say, that, that are tough to hollow. I'll just be, first and foremost, it doesn't make me happy that the Bible teaches that there are people going to hell. That bothers me. But it's a truth. And I have to hold on to that truth because that's what the Bible teaches. Even if I wish I could tell everybody, don't worry about it. I don't have biblical license to do that. And so there should be things within the Bible that, that often that offend us all. By the way, and, and what we do is we dismiss these teachings because they don't fit within culture or our cultural mindset. Well, let me explain this to you. Biblical teaching, the Bible, and what the Bible taught didn't fit into the culture of the first century either. It offended first century culture as much as it offends 21st century culture. It was just on a different set of topics, but it wasn't accepted. It wasn't embraced. It didn't fit perfectly within the culture. It elevated the place of women way too far for first century mindset. It, it, it said that Jews and Gentiles were equal. That was against first century mindset. There, there's a lot of first century people that were offended by the Bible the same way that there's a lot of 21st century people offended by the Bible. It's just on some different topics. The Bible has never fit within any particular cultural setting because it's always been anti-cultural because it's not of this world. And so at any point, in any time in all of history, the Bible would challenge all cultures at some point or another. And so if we've been throwing it out to be culturally relevant all these years, it would have been different. And so we can't dismiss those parts that offend us. We have to embrace them, even if they are painful. We also cannot ignore, ignore the parts that challenge us. 
especially those pet ideas and theologies we have, that there's going to be things in the Scripture that are going to personally challenge us. Like, uh, that's a hard question. And, and they're going to come against some of our ideas and some of our theologies and some of our things. And I think this is where deconstructionism sometimes has a bit of a point. It's good for us to question over and over what it is that I believe and why it is that I believe so that we can continue to refine and refine our belief to a pure understanding. Because this is true. This, this is where asking questions helps us. Because it's true. People can and do try to make Scripture say whatever they want it to say. You can do that. And asking questions, I believe, preserves orthodoxy. When people are able to ask questions, if Martin Luther had never been able to ask his questions, we would not have had what we call the Reformation. It is those things that help us be a pure and more orthodox church. And so we need to invite and be okay with asking questions, especially on things that challenge us. Third, we cannot forget the parts we don't comprehend. That there's things in the Bible that it says that I don't understand yet. And that requires for me a continued study continue accepting my lack that there's passages that I don't have a good application for I don't necessarily have a good understanding for but that doesn't mean they're not important this might be a bad example but I sometimes think of them kind of like my appendix right you know it's in there for a reason I don't know what it's there for a lot of people don't know what it's there for you can live without it but if it's all the same to you I'm going to keep mine right because I think it's there for something. God put it there for some reason. It might, my gallbladder is to say, I can live without it. But if it's all the same, I'm going to keep it. And, and there's things in Scripture that I just don't understand where they all fit. But I still think they're important. And it requires me to kind of be like the farmer. The farmer who had this giant oak tree in his field, and he cut it down, and he wanted to move the stump. And he would just go with his horse and his mule, and he would work on the stump, and he'd dig around the stump, and he'd chop at it. And year after year after year, he just kept coming back to the stump, and he just couldn't get this massive thing out of the ground. And he just continued to work, and it became his, his burden until the day that he finally worked it and worked it and worked it and got it out of the ground. And sometimes I think there's scriptures that we just need to kind of keep working like that, coming back to it and coming back to it and coming back to it trying to work our way through them until we can grasp some kind of understanding. If nothing else, it serves to remind us to be humble. There's a few things, though, with Scripture we can do if you believe the Scriptures are inspired. You can rely on the Bible as the disciples' handbook. I was going to try to get me a copy of the Boy Scout manual. You know, it used to be the manual. If you were a Boy Scout, you just looked in the manual, and it told you what to do and how to do and how to always be prepared, right? Well, the Bible is nothing more than our disciples' handbook. That it has the answers to our questions and guidance in what we should be. It's the answer to the things, uh, all things that are disciple-related. It's the Word of God. It has authority over my life. It can be consulted for guidance and for answers. And, and I believe the plain things are the main things, and those are the things that we need to hold to. So if you believe this is an inspired book and you want to be a disciple, here's your handbook on how to be a disciple. If you believe the Bible is inspired, then you can view it as the whole as God's word. There was a pastor that I was watching 
He's from Oklahoma, and I think he's big into this deconstruction ideas, and he asks a lot of questions, and a lot of really good questions. He points out some glaring errors that I think exist within the church, and which is pretty easy to find in a lot of ways. But I was watching one of his videos, and he had gone so far that he's, he was saying, well, we need to elevate the teachings of Jesus and ignore the teachings of Paul. And that we got to separate these two. Like in the Bible, what Jesus said, we need to, because it came from Jesus. And how would we ever equate what Paul wrote? And, and, and so what he does, he says, well, what came from Jesus is elevated. It's outside of culture because it came from Jesus. And we need to listen to that part. What Paul wrote was inside of culture. And we need to kind of ignore that part. Well, here's what I want to tell you. When you believe that the whole of the Bible is inspired, it's all red letters. It all comes from God. From Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation chapter 21. If you're going to do red letters for God, then the whole thing should be red. Because it's all inspired by God. All the scripture is breathed out by God. There is no separation. And I would go as far to say this. I believe that the Bible was not only written by the men that God wanted to write it. It was written in the times when God wanted to write it. And so that God understood the very culture that he was using, and he used that to advance his cause. And we can't separate those things out. I think that's going too far, and it, it tears at the doctrine and the understanding of what inspiration is, that all the Scripture is God's Word, and that we can use the whole thing, and we hold it all together. If you believe in an inspired Bible, then you can use the entire Revelation, all of it, as guidance on the particulars. So when we run into a passage that we struggle with, then you look at that, how that fits within the whole and not just by itself. This is, should eliminate our cherry picking, this verse and that verse and that verse, that we have to hold the whole thing together to the best of our ability. And finally, if you believe there's an expired Bible, we can diagnose much of the current problems with society as well as offer a remedy. And that applies to the church too, by the way. And we can diagnose what's wrong with the church and offer a remedy if we believe the Bible's inspired. The problem with that is that will not be well accepted within our culture. That will not be well accepted in a lot of churches. That when we look at the problem and say the real problem is the authority problem. If you get back under God and do things the way God built life, you would be better. The bad news is I believe this is a hill that we need to prepare ourselves to die on because that's what that warning in, in the second part in, in chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4 is there will come a time when people are going to gather together people to tell them what they want to hear because they have itching ears. I believe that time and that happening is happening more than it ever has. When we look at, at some of the wildly popular churches the biggest churches in our nation, I think there's a whole lot more ear tickling based on what people want to hear and what culture tells them to say than what the Bible lays out as truth. And we live in a time when this is going to go. And if we're going to stand on Scripture as the inspired Word of God and try to use it, not only a guide for the church, but a guide for all of life, we will be wildly unpopular. But... I repeat to you what Luther said. Unless I'm convicted by Scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of popes or councils or culture because they have contradicted each other. 
My conscience is captive to the word of God because I believe it is inspired word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. So help me God.